Hey everybody, welcome to Raw Hunting Resources Podcast. Alright, it is uh, Sunday night, May 1st. Almost quarter to 11 at night. Yet again, here I am, recording a podcast. <laughs> the, no pun intended, The pretty much the 11th hour. Oh my word, am I whooped. I'm, 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 tell, I'm, I am whooped. I am like proper whooped. So we're going to do a shorter version of the podcast tonight because there's just I've, I've got some other stuff I want to talk to you about, um, what's going on with our turkeys, but that's a longer, lengthy discussion. I do want to do a little bit of, I, I want to make some notes and I want to make some organization, um, just a, or basically an outline so that I can follow, just stay on track to just try to keep it succinct as possible. Um, it's going to be long, but um, that's why I think it's important for me to have a, an outline. And then, <clears throat> thanks, well, I guess the, one of the things that I should probably start off with is uh, thanking you guys and gals for uh, reaching out. Uh, given the the storms that have been rocking through uh, some of Kansas lately, so uh, no, we were not affected by the tornadoes, uh, luckily. Um, I, our, man, just, it sucks for the people that were down, uh, outside of Wichita, they're just that, you, you, if you followed any of what's going on, we had a tornado go through, um, down there, and it did a fair bit of damage, um, just, it's just, uh, it's just, I have a feeling that's, this summer is just gonna be ugly. Um, because we're supposed to have just hot conditions for northwest Kansas we're supposed to have continuing drought uh, all the way through the end of August now they've extended it we we did bump up we are now in an extreme drought um, they've extended that all the way through the end of August we're supposed to have above average temperatures but well below average moisture and above average wind yay if it's going to be hot and dry why not throw the wind in there and get the trifecta so for us that's what we're looking at but as you know you you will get that moisture come up out of the gulf we'll get fingers crossed pray that we get some monsoon flow out of the the gulf of mexico and um was it Sea of Cortez and the Pacific Ocean over there, and and we've got some you know moisture coming through from the monsoons. Hopefully, we get this La Nina out of the way, and we can get into more of an El Nino cycle. But that again, it doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. But for those people that are south of us, and east of us, and north of us, those are places that traditionally get those nasty storms, and. I think a lot of people here in Kansas are going to need to brace themselves for an ugly summer. Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I think that's just what it's going to end up being. Um, we did not get hit. So the other day there was a big storm that went north of us and just parked on the Kansas-Nebraska border for several hours and just dumped an unbelievable amount of moisture, I think. So a buddy of mine owns property uh, northwest of Phillipsburg, and I have not been able to confirm with him 
but the statement he say he gave to me was uh, one of the landowners up there that he works with that does the farming, I believe, uh, said they got six inches of rain in one hour. You can imagine where all that's given how dry it's been. You can imagine where all that rain went. 95% of it went right, just sheeted. I mean, we can have a conversation with the green cover seed folks and, and talk about cover crops, but you put six inches in one hour. Jeez, old Pete. They're, oh, <laughs> Oh, I don't have, I did it and I, and I completely forgot. And that just reminded me, I'm, I'm going to do a figurative clink, clink, clink. So right, hold on. I'll circle, but I'll do a Jen Saki on, uh, the Jeezo Pete jar, but there goes the first quarter. I, I owe, I owe, I owe a quarter to the Jeezo Pete jar so far. Um, anyway, parked over that portion of Kansas, Nebraska, straight north of us on the the border. It was probably about 20 miles north of us. Maybe not that far. Man, 20 miles? Maybe not that far. 15 miles? Anyway, we didn't get a drop. But, I mean, we, we, we got about maybe 1,500s. And, and that's the thing is out here, it's it's interesting. You talk to farmers. You know, some people are like, oh, we got a quarter inch. We got a half inch. We got an inch. Or we got two inches. Out here, people will talk about it in hundreds so you got 10 hundreds a tenth of an inch or you got 15 hundreds or you got 25 hundreds quarter of an inch 50 hundreds half an inch we got probably about 15 20 hundreds less than a quarter of an inch it's probably about 15 hundreds of 10 10 to 15 hundreds of, of an inch of, of rain that was about it just enough to temporarily knock the dust down on us and and that was it but up north North of us, yeah, six inches in an hour. Just the flash floods that came through, and you drive around up, you know, if you go up to Highway 36 between Norton and Phillipsburg, the storm was more closer to Phillipsburg. So you get over to Phillipsburg and you take a look at some of those drainages, really short, you know, the really narrow, steep little drainages. Brutal, brutal flooding. Brutal flooding, and my buddy lost his can. I mean, he he lost a bunch of stuff. I it it messed their property up bad. Um, and I feel bad. I just anyway. Um, so I appreciate the messages, uh, people checking in on us. So far, knock on wood, nothing bad has happened. Um, I'd like to have some of the rain, but I don't want that much. You know, if I wanted to be picky about it. Certainly don't want the hail and certainly don't want the tornadoes. So we are looking at a, a change in the forecast, uh, a marked difference. We, we've got a possible week-long cycle where we, we, we might be getting moisture starting tonight. And that's kind of why I'm just absolutely cashed out today because... Um, and, and the, I think the, the focus on this discussion today is just trust your instincts. Trust your gut. Even if you're not an expert in something and you are privy to something, to, how do I, mean, I don't even know, just, well, I'll get into it. Just trust your gut. Because we've just, it's just been brutal wind. Just stupid, stupid wind. 20 to 40 mile an hour 
with 60 gusts and last week it was between 30 and 50 mile an hour winds uh with gusts uh, uh 60 65 66 miles an hour wind gusts so average sustained wind is between 35 and 45 miles an hour it just non-stop and it's been like that for several weeks and and we're supposed to continue that cycle so from a habitat standpoint, you can't do any herbicide spraying. Um, I mean, even if you, so there's a lot of herbicides that you, that will flat tell you following the label, you, you do not spray uh, when it gets breezy. We're talking 20, 30, 40 mile an hour winds. That's just, you, you're not doing, you're, no, you're not doing anything anyway. So I have not been able to spray any, I've got maybe a tenth of the food plots that I want to get sprayed and prepped spray because it's just been too windy. <clears throat> because it has been dry while it's been windy, the cheatgrass has responded to that dryness by going to seed a lot sooner. So I've got most of our cheatgrasses already flowering, uh, getting ready to set seed and i haven't been able to get out there and spray it um it'd be nice to have a little bit more a little bit of moisture to get those plants um growing and actively transpiring so if i can get out there and spray then then the spray is a little bit more effective but uh, i don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon well i say all that because part of what was going on so last year, you know, last summer, I posted some pictures and some videos and stuff. And we, we put up two steel buildings on our on our on one of our properties. Got it through VersaTube. Um, I, I, full disclosure, I like the company. I, they don't owe me a dime. I don't owe them a dime. I just bought their buildings because that's the only option we had. Uh, the customer, the, the interface and designing our buildings was easy and awesome. The customer service was awesome. the The whole thing worked out well. They, I mean, they their response time was quick. Uh, we got all the materials quick, and I mean, everything was just fine. But and everything looks seems to be of quality. the 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 steel itself, the the sheet metal, and everything seems to be of high quality. But one of the buildings is a very large carport so it's a two-sided building with you know it's like a tunnel if you if you don't know what a carport is look it up but anyway it's like it's like a tunnel so there's two sides of it and then a roof and then the each end is wide open that way we can pull through with our camper and our horse trailer or whatever and we can get that in under some protection so if we do get hit with hail or just to keep the sun off of it um, just keep things protected we can pull through or in and out of the carport. And it's it's tall. It's 20 or 30 feet long and I think 12 feet high or something like that, you know, the walls. So it's big. But then right next to that is the other shop that's 30 feet, or it's 30 by 30. I don't remember what it is. But anyway, another building that's 10 feet tall. But that's four-sided with garage doors and everything else. So... We spent the money and in the design of the building went ahead and upgraded 
to the quote-unquote high wind package. So it was rated, that carport building is rated to withstand 140 mile an hour winds. And I'll take ownership of not, I guess, talking with them prior and clarifying what that actually meant. Um, But we have that thing anchored into the ground eight ways from Sunday, and she ain't coming out. Um, but that's not the issue. The issue has has shown over these past several weeks of one day we have 30 to 50 mile an hour winds out of the northwest, and then the next day we have 30 to 50 mile an hour winds out of the south, and then we have another day of 20 to 40 mile an hour winds out of the north, and then the next day it's back out of the south, and then back to the north, back south, north, south, north, south, and it just back forth, back forth, back forth, back forth. Well, of course, the building is going to sway a little bit. Yeah, well, a little bit turned into, hmm, that seems bad, turned into, holy hell, that thing's rocking, to, uh, we better do something quick or else we're going to lose this structure because it wasn't coming out of the ground. Just all the connective stuff up on top, up on the rafters, you know, the juncture between the rafters and the wall pieces was just coming undone. It was shearing off bolts or screws. It was it was backing screws and bolts out. Uh, it was bending things. It's it's been buckling trim and just it it's it started to fail. Thing is still intact, but it's just this repeated back for you know wobbling back and forth you know rocking back and forth it's just eating it's just it's just eroding away the integrity of the of the building so obviously we reached out to the company and we're going to talk to them about uh what the hell because it's rated to 140 mile an hour winds but i'm betting what they're going to come back at is say well it's rated to withstand 140 mile an hour wind blast and not take the building down well that's fine but they have a 20-year warranty. Hell, this thing's been up for eight months or, or no, 10 months, and it's already starting to come apart. Now, again, I have no problem with the company. Don't get me wrong on that. I, I, they're, they're, I like their product. I think their, their, their um, uh, materials are legit. I think they just missed the ball or they, they just dropped the ball or, or missed the boat on on the structural integrity of the of the structure to withstand the you know back forth type of uh, deal. Because and this is where I, I say trust your gut. Because when we were installing it, I was looking at what the trusses were on the other the garage, and then I was looking at the trusses or the 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 rafters if you will trusses whatever you want to call them each building had it a little bit different i don't know what it's technically called for the carport but regardless i looked at the carport and i'm like there's no way there's there's no way this is gonna there's no way this is gonna hold because there was really it, it just it didn't seem like there was enough it, and i'm good okay so i'm not a structural engineer all right i'm not I might play one on TV or on YouTube, but I'm not. However, I was very good at physics in high school, college, all, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at physics. 
just looking at it, I was like, there's just no way. There's There doesn't seem to be enough cross-connectivity between the wall and the 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 rafter or the, or the you know the, the truss on the other you know just uh, uh, on the other side of the peak because if you put torque on that it, you know, anyway I looked at it and I was like we need to have some bracing there there needs to be more bracing well and then the people that I was around it was helping her out you know no 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 it's it's good it should be no you shouldn't be worried about it because you got this and this shouldn't no nah, no it shouldn't and then you know and then you know these guys are engineers they designed it they know what they're doing blah blah, blah. okay well that's fine I, but I just eyeballing it I'm sitting there I'm like man. I just don't trust it. I just I just don't see it happening. So yeah, I should have just went with my gut. It's it's one of those things where sometimes in life you're going to witness something. You're going to see something and it's just not going to sit right. It's I'll, I'll tell you right now in my experience Listen, the little voice in your head is never wrong. It's never wrong. Now, what you do with that information, what you do with it, that, okay, that can be a, a, a bigger discussion because I've had the same thing happen with some people and, and personal uh, engagements and interactions and, and it didn't turn out well. But it's not that my instinct was wrong. It was the, the resulting in, encounter that just turned to shit. But... In this case, here I am, I'm looking at a building, I'm looking at what we're putting up, and, and the gut, my gut is just screaming, it. the little voice in my head is screaming, this is not adequate. Now, at the time, I should have just, I should have called the company and been like, uh, okay, I'm not buying it. Now, they, who knows, who, who knows, they, they, they could have done a, a, a rework of the engineering my guess is they would have said, "Oh no, 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 it's fine because we've we've run it through the models and we've got this engineering blah 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 software and it says that yeah, you should be fine." Okay. Well, we made sure I did I did make sure that we anchored that sucker eight ways from Sunday into the ground. She ain't coming out. It ain't coming out of the ground with the, with the the mobile home anchors we've got the number of them and the the size of them that that ain't coming out of the ground. What I did not do when we initially built the structure, I did not put iron pipe at the four corners of the structure and concrete it in. Now, most of the time you'll see when you're doing a carport like that, you'll see people put the four you know posts at the four corners because it helps it, you know, and at least the people I've talked to, uh, the vast majority of people were doing that to anchor that thing into the ground so it doesn't come up out of the ground in high winds. It doesn't act, because it, it can act like a sail if the, if the winds hit it just right, you know, or just wrong, if you will, and it can act, you know, catch that wind and act like a sail and want to lift off. Well, you have stuff in concrete or you have mobile home anchors that are buried down, at, you know, deep into the ground and then the whole structure lagged bolt, you know, lag bolted onto that. She's not going to come out of the ground. And so, no, we went the, the mobile home anchor route rather than pipe route. Um, 
because we knew that the that the anchors we put in the ground were going to keep it in place and they're not going to come out. And I didn't feel like I needed the pipe. Well, obviously now, hindsight 2020, pipe, substantial pipe anchored into the ground with some concrete actually would have helped stiffen those walls up a bit and aided in keeping that building from rocking back and forth so violently. So because we're gonna we've we've had so much wind, because we're going to have more wind, I don't have time to wait for the company to you know to talk to the company figure out what they want to do if they're going to do anything I, we're going to find out what their warranty customer service you know that this type of customer the, up until now I'm again I'm not trashing on the company Versatube has taken care of us they've been a phenomenal company to work with I like their product and it looks like their materials are good I think they just missed the boat on the structural engineering of this particular building to withstand that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth wind load. Okay. I want to clarify that because I do, I like, I, I, they're not sponsored. I don't, they don't owe me a dime. I don't owe them a dime. I just, I'm just telling, being honest, I don't want to trash a company just because it, no, there's, there's nothing to trash here that everybody makes a mistake and hell, it is what it is. Okay. So, but I just don't, there's just no way I don't have time to do that. So, when the brutal wind was happening, you you know, you kind of saw me. Um, I posted that funny video of, you know, be a man. You know, don't don't brace your building when you it's calm and you have plenty of time. No, no. Wait until you have a windstorm and it becomes an emergency. Be a man. Um, so, yeah, I, we had some extra braces uh, from, you know, they, they had made, they, it doesn't matter, from the other garage. And so I decided, I'm like, hell, I'm going to, I'm going to put these extra braces in. And it did work for the, the bulk of the wind we were getting. But then the other day we just, it was just, just brutal wind. And those braces are designed, they are not designed for a compression load to where, you know, like if you're pushing against both ends, they're more designed for a, uh, like a pull. You know, if, if, if something wants to pull apart, these braces are pretty darn sturdy. Well, it, I mean, it flat buckled, that, that windstorm flat buckled two, what, f- buckled one of the braces, bent the brackets on two other of the braces so it started rocking hard again. So here we are. I'm like, I don't have time to figure stuff out. I need to get this thing solidified and and sound in a quickness because otherwise, this thing that it's going to come apart up at the up on top, and then it's just going to collapse down onto the camper and the horse trailer, and then the wind's going to take it, and then it's just going to wreak havoc on everything. And no, so I went and and got. Um, a bunch of oil field pipe, iron steel pipe, had it cut to 10 foot lengths. And then that's what I worked on these past couple of days. So I had a neighbor come in and brutal wind yesterday was just vicious. 
we were out there. He had his, he brought his skid steer with a auger and we were able to auger in the four corners. And of course the auger, the only auger he had available was a pretty sizable. So here these holes are just gargantuan. And because it's the buildings already in place, you can't, you know, do a perfect hole. So you got to kind of come in at an angle or just a little off. So that way the, just so you're not damaging your building. Which means then I've got to clean up the hole and I've got to I've got to square up the hole. So yeah, two days sorry two days ago when that storm was happening, that's when I was out there augering with my neighbor. And then yesterday, I spent time going and getting all the necessary materials, bolts, and you know everything else I needed in concrete. And I'll get to that in a second. That's why I'm whooped. But then just spent hand digging up the you know the rest of the hole, squaring them up, getting them you know ready to go and then today we had a magical beautiful day where it was rising pressure 37 degrees this morning calm winds sunny so i took a drive around just to listen just to see who was you know if anybody was gonna i will talk here about the turkeys but yeah i just went out just to see if uh the birds on the main river bottom are still there, um, and they are, which is nice. So there's still two toms in two spots. Only a handful of hens, but they were still there, and no one was out hunting, which made me happy. Uh, But I spent the day just getting that building anchored. And so yesterday, spent post hole digging and spud barring out holes and cleaning out holes and getting things ready to go and then running around ah it doesn't matter i could today got all the oil i got all the pipe drilled screwed in and lagged into the into the building well they're six, they're ten foot length, so I have six feet sticking above the ground, four feet buried in the ground. Some of it had to be pounded in because uh, the holes just weren't deep enough. But regardless, sixteen hundred pounds of concrete carried by hand and then mixed and poured by hand and finished. Got all those done. Bought extra because. Most people are not open on Sundays, so I bought a whole bunch of extra concrete because the holes were big. Wanted to make sure I had enough to to finish out the day, so here we go. We've got another 1,040 pounds of concrete bags that now that I'm done and now that we're supposed to get rain, load those in the back of the truck, take them back to the house, unload all those back into the garage where they're going to be dry. So there's another 1,040 pounds of concrete carried today. Up and down on ladders to fix the braces. <laughs> I'm whooped. Yeah, 1,600 pounds of, of concrete in the ground and then another 1,000 that I just had to stack in the the garage. Oh, my forearms are just... My forearms, shoulders, and elbows are just back my back just <laughs> i'm gonna be sore i'm gonna be a hurting puppy tomorrow but all that and, and i say that and the reason why i say that is because quite honestly again 
I knew. I knew better. My gut told me. I The little voice in my head was like, hey, it's not going to... It, this design is not going to handle the wins that we have. No, 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 no. And I made excuses, made excuses, made excuses. And the little voice is like, I'm telling you, it ain't going to hold. What did I do? I put it, I ignored the little voice. I put it off. I didn't talk to the company. I just, I just, I just didn't. I just did, I just didn't. So what does that mean? That means I just had to spend the last two and a half days, well, let alone the days putting up the bra- the the braces before, but I just spent two and a half days. I don't, I haven't even tallied it. I haven't even tallied it up for the steel pipe, the concrete, the bolts, the drill bits, the and the fact the numbers of trips I had to take back and forth up to Phillipsburg because I'm a dumbass and and didn't get right I didn't get so I had to make multiple trips with five dollar and twenty freaking cent diesel with a full I don't even know how much money I had to just spend to get this thing shored up and solidified and and I'm and. I believe it's going to go a long way on stiffening this building up. But I, I I still don't know that we don't need to have with Versatube have a discussion of having them send me, you know, a different engineered uh brace of some sort so that way I can I can in you know install it to where it stiffens that roof structure up i don't know but i know that what i just did is going to go a hell of a long way to to make sure that that the, the building at least doesn't come apart but all because i ignored that little voice all because i i didn't trust that little voice i didn't trust my gut i ignored it i made excuses for it i went down the road uh, or the the thought process of plausible deniability. Uh, you know, these guys know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't do anything. And so here I go spending two, a little over two days scrambling, having to work in just miserable conditions on one day, but then burning an absolute gorgeous day trying to take care of my building when I should have been, I could have been, I really needed to have been out spraying today. It was calm. It was gorgeous. I I should I should have been out there at 6 a.m. and then going all the way until 9 p.m. just just wearing out the pump on my sprayer. There's so many food plots. So much habitat stuff that I that I need to spray. Today was the day. Today was the day to be able to do that. I'm already behind the power curve simply because of the weather, the, the brutal wind that we've been having. I have not been able to spray during those brutal windy days. Today was the perfect day to spray. Every so everybody that that well it was Sunday so a couple some of the people weren't out spraying but the, you know the the aerial applicator guys he I mean he was just rocking and rolling he was just flying everywhere trying to get as much spraying done as as he could because he hasn't been able to get off the ground in the past 
how many months. Anyway, I lost the best day of habitat work simply because I ignored that little voice in my head. I ignored my gut. Even though I'm not an engineer, I could see what was going on in front of me and I didn't do anything about it. I didn't have a conversation with folks. I didn't ask about it. I just and I've seen and, and I and I say this, the reason why I want to bring this up is because I've seen it in other areas. You know, you can see something's just not right. You know, I, I watched it with my mom in the hospital when she was in the hospital uh because of her breast cancer when it turned into adrenal cancer. She was in the hospital for a few days and, and I just watched what was going on there. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a, you know, but I can just, I can literally sit and watch. I can identify incompetence. I can identify where, mm, no, wrong. You know, no, mom doesn't need another dose of medicine. The nurse just was in here 15 minutes. The other nurse was in here 15 minutes ago and gave already gave her that medicine. You don't need to give her double medicine. No, you don't. I mean, just certain things that you can look and you can observe and you can see that are wrong. You know that they're wrong. You know something's just do not ignore it. Do not ignore it. The little voice in your head is never wrong. We may not understand why in some cases, why we're, you know, that little voice is screaming in our head to, to do this or to do that or to do this or do that, but it's never wrong. There's been so many times in my life that I've ignored it and paid the price. And here's another one. You'd think I'd learn the lesson. No, thick headed apparently, but so that's it. Today I burned, I burned. Now, granted, uh, if, if there was a day to, put concrete in the ground and, and, and shore up that building. Well, today was today because it was calm. So the building was not under any wind load or wind stress to where I didn't have to try to Kentucky windage, no pun intended, you know, try to figure out how to, you know, brace that thing under a wind load. Um, it was just, it just sat there just pretty as you please. So I know that it was in equilibrium, if you will, that just the building was perfectly standing the way the building is supposed to stand so I could go ahead and get everything drilled in anchored in and concreted in with the building in a an essentially quote-unquote a neutral position not stressed out with so today was perfect for for that act for what I needed to do to make up for my my oversight and my short-sightedness and my my negligence back in the day last summer Today was the perfect day to do it, and and I'm so grateful that we that that we had today to do. I mean, it, it just and I'm grateful to my neighbor that he was able to come in and help me out, just augering those holes. Because if I had to try to dig, there's no way I'm digging those holes by hand. Just not happening. Not happening. Not four foot deep holes. Nope. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. Um, I had all sorts of great and glorious, grandiose plans about the beginning of last week about what I wanted to talk about this week because I, I wanted to talk about, you know, the, the everybody's been asking about the turkey decline. Why? Why, 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 why? 
Okay, well, it's the turkey, the decline in wild turkeys is going. It's it's going on across the vast majority of at least the Midwest and Southeast, uh, or the Midwest to the east and southeast of the United States. I, I can't say what's going on in Colorado or the mountain birds, and you know whether we're talking about Wyoming, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, New Mexico. All you know. I don't know what's going on with the Merriams, and I don't know what's going on with some of our Western uh, bird populations. But I can say that from Western Kansas, eastward, up into New England, and then also down into the southeast part of the, uh, the United States and the Gulf Coast, bird numbers are generally decreasing. And in some areas, they're decreasing more rapidly than others. I wanted to spend some time talking about why our area. Now, again, I, I've talked about this before, and I'm always going to stress it. There's a reason why I've started, you know, using that hashtag. What you know, Western Plains Whitetails. Well, the whole the whole title is Western Plains Whitetails and Wildlife, because what's going on in the northwest part of Kansas and generally in the Western Plains is wholly different than what's going on in the eastern part of Kansas, eastern Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, all of that, Indiana, Illinois, all of that out there is different. You've got different moisture cycles. You've got different moisture, you know, quantities, you know. Hell, again, I've said it before, our, our normal years are their drought years. Okay? So we're we're in a different world and to the to the point and this is going to be I I need to 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 do a little video of it because man this year it's very very vividly obvious because the trees have died enough now to where it it's just clear. Um uh, and on two properties, one of mine and one one of one of them is mine. One not mine. One of my landowners. One of them is my neighbor's, um, a neighboring landowner. You'll hear all the you'll hear people talk all the time when we're talking about habitat for whether we're talking deer, whether we're talking turkeys, quail, pheasant, whatever. Especially well, now I won't I won't I won't put pheasant in there because generally pheasant fall into a kind of a different category. But you'll hear a lot of people talk about deer habitat improvements, turkey habitat improvements, and quail habitat improvements. Where you're going in and whether you're burning, whether you're chemical treatment, opening up the forest canopy, doing selective cuts or doing hinge cuts or whatever, and you'll hear people all the time talk about. Open up the forest canopy so that way more sunlight hits the floor, the forest floor, and let natural selection, not natural selection, wrong word, I'm tired, natural succession have a chance to allow native vegetation to bounce back and and, and to, to flourish and grow. We don't have that here. I open up the forest canopy. I either, whether it's by a, a purposeful manipulation of the, the the tree canopy in certain areas, or whether an aerial applicator just doesn't really care, or maybe the landowner 
hires the aerial sprayer guys to come in and spray his locust and the, the musk thistle. And oh, well, I wasn't able to get out there last week or the last two weeks or the last three weeks. And uh, when, when the cottonwoods and all the other beneficial trees were dormant, and now that we f- I finally have a, a good day that's three weeks later, and oh, oh, oops, there's a whole bunch of leaves on the actual good trees now, and I accidentally nuke your entire creek bottom, your entire river corridor, oops. Well, the oops part is that wasn't intentional. The problem is, is a lot of landowners don't care. Either they they want the trees gone or they just don't care. Because again, wildlife out here for the vast majority of, of landowners is incidental at best. They don't give two rips. It's about cattle and, and crops. Cattle and crops. What can make money? I'm not saying that from a, 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 a derogatory uh, statement for the landowners. It, it's value sets. Just like you value whatever it is that you value, if someone doesn't value what you value, doesn't mean you're evil because someone doesn't value what you do. You just have a value set. And if and if you're the one owning the ground and you're the one trying to make money off that property by running cattle or you're trying to farm the ag ground and you just don't care about hunting, you don't care about deer or turkeys, I don't... Yeah just wildlife who what i don't even think about wildlife that's not even in my i just that's not even something i think about well then you're going to manage your property entirely different and so sometimes the the absolute abject loss of an entire tree corridor is irrelevant well, that means there's more moisture and there's more light for more grass that my cattle can get into. And quite honestly, it's it's a lot easier to see where the cattle are and it's a lot easier to work them in there. Well, at least until the trees start, start falling down and it just turns into a tangle of deadfall. Anybody that hunts out west in beetle kill area knows exactly what deadfall is, how fun working through deadfall is. But regardless, um, that's what we see out here is just we, we've got some chunks of real estate that you can see where we've lost habitat um, and it doesn't fit the, the the general narrative of open up the forest canopy and let natural su- succession come in and, and fill in with native forbs and, and shrubs and grasses and blah, 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 blah. Oh my. No, that doesn't happen. It turns into hemp. It turns into cheatgrass. It turns into kochia. Uh, Russian thistle turns into herbicide-resistant amaranth, you name it. And so, yeah. Anyway, I went down a rabbit hole. But, um, anyway, yeah. So, anyway, I don't want to, I, I want to, I, I do, but I don't. I want to have a more comprehensive discussion of what's going on with our turkeys, what's going on out here with the habitat. So I don't really want to go too far into that because I'm going to cover it in depth. But Western Plains, whitetails, and wildlife, the the whole point behind that is is to, to showcase the difference, what we're dealing with out here. It's not it's it's not your typical YouTube habitat guys where you're like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do that. No, 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 you're not. You can. 
you can, and then you just create a, a more a bigger nightmare for yourself later on. Um, so with that being said, with me wanting to spray to do some really good beneficial habitat stuff out there, I burned two days working on a building that I shouldn't have had to work on, but oh well, I got the building done. And I, I know the building's not going to come apart on me now, which is good, but we're we're here we are moving in the direction of a week of windy conditions, yes, but uh, possible moisture, possible rain, which is good. We need it. Uh, one of the landowners, the other, well, no, a couple of the landowners I talked to the other day, they actually stopped planting. They were out trying to plant soybeans, they actually stopped planting because there's a there's a principle you'll hear farmers talk about plant to the moisture. What does that mean? In these dry areas, you don't always have good, nice, moist soil to plant into. Sometimes it's dry, but if you dig down in in below the soil surface, you can start to hit moisture, some moist soil. Maybe that moisture on you know maybe a good year you know maybe that moisture is a half inch deep or maybe you're an inch deep okay well when you set your planter when you set when you get ready to drill if anybody that's done food plots knows that each seed that you're planting likes a particular seed depth how how much soil how deep into the soil do they like to be planted well if it's really dry with a no-till drill, the beautiful part about a no-till drill and how it functions and, and how it inserts the seed into the landscape, you actually can can play with that a bit to where you plant to the moisture. Meaning, let's, let's arbitrarily say a soybean wants to be three quarters of an inch deep. Let's just say that's whatever you're planting you you wants to be three plant your soybeans at you know three quarters of an inch or, or maybe an inch deep okay well that's fine if there's adequate moisture but if if you dig down in your moist into your soil and it doesn't start to get damp until it's two inches below the surface you can actually set your machine and run your machine two inches to to, to put that soybean at two inches depth right where it's touching that moisture so it can the seed can germinate and the seed can pop. But because of the slit, the cut, the surgical cut that the, the no-till drill makes on the landscape, even though the seed is technically deeper than what it should be planted, the functioning resistance above that seed is minimal because of the, the 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 cut that the blade made in the soil. So yes, it might be two inches deep, but there's really only three quarters or an, or an inch of soil over top of it, and whatever else is above it is so loose that it just the the seed can pop right through it, and it can can, can continue to grow. So if your field has it, let's just say you look at a big 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 agriculture field you're probably going to have just different variations of soil texture, soil types across that field. And maybe you have different terrain. Maybe there's, you know, rolling hills and maybe there's little swales that go down through it. And and maybe they're just, it, the, the whole terrain kind of has some topography to it. Well, when you go across that entire field, 
There are going to be places where the soil moisture is relatively shallow, meaning it's, it's almost right to the surface. Maybe it's a half inch or an inch below the surface. And then in other places, you might have soil moisture where it's like three, four inches. Again, we're talking about a dry year. We're talking about out here in Northwest Kansas in, in this no-till country. You might get to a point where there's no moisture until you hit three or four inches deep. All right. The problem is, is you can only go so deep with your equipment and you can only go so deep with your seed. Yes, the no-till is going to help that and you can get away with going a little bit deeper, but you can't, you don't want to be planting three inches deep, four inches deep. No, you're going to actually tear up discs depending on what your, what your drill looks like, especially if you're running a, on a Genesis machine where it's everything's manual anyway, you, you don't want to be going deep. Because you're going to ruin your disc. You're going to get soil coming over the top of it. And it's going it, to, trust me, it's going to mess up your equipment. Well, the landowners were out there trying to drill. And, you know, when we're talking about modern agriculture these days and the tractors and the implements that are out there putting seed in the ground, it's I, the, the amount of it that is computer interfaced, run off the computer. It's crazy. That that's why so many farmers just laughed at, laughed and and were offended by the the statement of you know there was those Democrats that said you know well you know farming is gonna it's not it, or what was it you know I don't even remember what it was basically farmers need to learn to code you know you know if if farmers can't make it oh well then you, then you need to go learn to 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 be a computer programmer coder or whatever, dude. Farming is the number of computer screens in modern tractors these days and in, in combines is insane. And the computer programs and the interface between the tractor and the the drills or the planters or whatever they're dragging behind that piece of equipment is all talking to one another and it's shutting off things, turning on things, adjusting things on the fly. As that tractor is pulling that implement across the field, and for this relevant discussion, there is a moisture sensor on those on that implement that actually can adjust where that seed depth is based on what soil moisture it's it's detecting. You want your entire field drilled and at that moisture fairly uniformly. That way, when all the seeds germinate, all the seeds germinate within a relative close amount of time to one another, like essentially at the same time, which means they all daylight pop up above ground roughly the same time, meaning they all flower at the same time. They start setting pods. At the, we're talking soybeans here. They start setting pods at the same time, which means in the fall, when it's getting ready to harvest, all of the plants, all of the entire field is maturing at the same time and all the soybean pods are drying out at the same time and same rate. So when it comes time to harvest, you can harvest the entire field efficiently. However, if some of your field is really damp and other parts of your field is stupidly dry, you try to go out there and you drill it well, if you're not drilling to moisture, then those areas of the field that are a little bit more damp, the seeds pop and they come up above ground. 
And then the areas where the the field is dry, the seeds are dormant. They're, they don't have enough moisture to pop. So the seeds just sit there. And then, ooh, let's just say we get a, a good couple of... So day May 1st, nah, let's say, May 15th, you have soybeans popping in one part of the field, but the dry portion of the field, the soybeans don't pop until June 1st. Well, now you've got two weeks different growth. You've got some plants that are are maturing faster. Other plants are lagging behind. So when it comes time to harvest, what do you do? You've got to wait until your latest beans are mature enough and dry enough to harvest. Meanwhile, all of your early growing beans have already gone dry and, and opened up what, what they call shatter, where they where the pods open up and kick out the beans and the beans just fall to the ground. Well, now you can't recover them. So this is why people that don't understand, it, spend some time out with some modern farmers and watch exactly what the hell is going on because you'll be amazed at how complex and intricate some of this stuff is. Well, their machines the other day were out there trying to plant to moisture and they couldn't go deep enough and they were getting gummed up. So literally my, one of the landowners I work with and one of the neighbors that we work with, um, they had to stop. Like literally you shut down. It's too dry to even plant. How sad is that? Now, hopefully this week, again, we get some moisture and we, we can rock and roll, get all the beans in the ground and then turn right around, get the corn in the ground. I've got a corn plot that I'm going to be putting in. And then I've got a bunch of ground that I want to start rolling in uh, as just just preparatory for this fall. Uh, you know, Basically, get stuff in the ground now, growing now to stabilize uh, weed growth, You know, just suppress weed growth and then provide some stubble over the ground to where later on this, this summer, either I can go in and terminate it, you know, a month ahead of time, allow that soil moisture to, to recharge, hopefully if we get some rains, or and or um, let the cattle come through and knock stuff down and just get it prepped and ready so that way we can come in this fall and, and get our fall plots in the ground. But um, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. We got farmers that can't, that it's just too dry to get stuff in the ground right now. Um, too windy to get stuff sprayed. So we've got cheatgrass issues that are getting out of hand. Um, I think our kosher and, and some of the other weeds that we've got to deal with are that we can, we can deal with them. But I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of weedy crop fields this year, which from a crop production standpoint sucks for the landowner. But from a wildlife standpoint, mm, might actually be beneficial, might actually help. I don't know. It depends on what weeds come in. But, um, you know, koshas, Russian thistles, they actually uh, quail and pheasant like them. So we'll see. We'll see. But um, anyway, so, yeah, I'm going to oh, just fried. The discussion on turkey reduction, the the reduction, it's not a reduction. The crash, just absolute abject crash of our turkey population. 
that's a longer discussion. I'm going to put some notes together for it. If we do get a good week of rain, then I'm going to have plenty of time sitting in the office and I can I can knock that out this week. The other one that I'm struggling with right now, and I'm not going to joke, I, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm not in a bad place because I am. I'm ha- I'm having I'm starting to have a I'm starting to have a problem with this whole and I and I know it's okay. I'm going to qualify this statement because I know it's not everything. And I know that e- different areas are, I, I know that not all areas are the same. So I, I it, anyways, the number of people that I know that I see that are out there turkey hunting right now that are the same people that are championing hunting is conservation is starting to piss me off because it's bullshit. I really want to, so, um, Connor, uh, I don't even, I, actually, now that I realize, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. C-H-O-A-T-E, I think is what it is. Um, anyways, a longtime subscriber, Row Hunting Resources subscriber, uh, he recently moved back home uh, to take over the family newspaper, uh, if I understand that correctly, back down in Oklahoma. And so we had a conversation the other day, and he wanted to interview me and, and you know, have me, you know, do some articles in, in their newspaper that they're doing. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. Um. There's a lot of, of people beating the drum on the benefits of hunting. And that's good. We need that. I, I, I support I support it, support it, support it. Absolutely. But like we've talked about before, you know, hunter, sports, I, I think hunters need to clean up some of the skeletons in their closet and, and the, the, the shit under the rugs that they've been sweeping under the rugs for years. Well, this one is just... And and many of you have shared, you know, either tagged me and stuff or shared stuff, you know, direct message me stuff on Instagram. And and please, I, I yeah, keep keep doing it, keep sending it, keep sending it. I love it, I love seeing it because I love that you guys are picking up on this too. Where, oh, sorry, and, and I I jumped out of that rabbit hole. But Connor, one of the things I talked about, I said, is, is, I mean, in, in many, and man, I, I hate to be, it is what it is. I'm just going to flat say it and you guys can crucify me and we can have a discussion later. I, I really want to have a conversation. And I'm going to probably do an entire podcast on it. Is hunting conservation? Honestly, <coughs> is hunting conservation? Yes or no? No bullshit, no hyperbole, no, you know, feel good, ooh, ah, blah, no. Let's, let, when we get down to brass tacks, is hunting conservation or is conservation paid for by hunting? Those two are not the same because let, let's just take, um, Mike Chamberlain. Chamberlain, for example, for example, Dr. Chamberlain is probably one of the most notorious uh, researchers looking at turkeys 
and everything that affects turkeys. So coyotes, uh, raccoons, you know, he has his Turkey Tuesday. He's become very, very popular uh, on social media. He's one of the bio. He's I, I I appreciate everything he's done because I don't have to agree with all of the things that come out. You know that he posts, but he's he's a biologist who actually has a a an ability to a, and a desire to actually engage the public in a constructive, meaningful manner. And I will absolutely shake that man's hand. Um, likewise, um, man, I'm guilty and I apologize. I'm going to, goes by the, the handle Dr. Disturbance. Hold on. I just blanked. I, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm tired. Um, uh, Marcus Lashley. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, he likewise. He's on uh, social media. He shares a lot of stuff with turkey habitat and turkey biology and turkey research, like like Dr. Chamberlain does. The number of people that I see social media accounts, okay. So now, and both of these guys are wildly popular on social media. They have been pulled into all sorts of very big name, very popular, very, I'm going to refrain. They're big name podcasts, very popular podcasts, very popular brands, very popular YouTube channels. They've engaged with those guys. Turkey, ha- turkey conservation, 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 habitat, habitat, pre- you know, habitat. It's always habitat, 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 and in conservation, 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 conservation. And then you then you watch some of the same accounts, and and, so, and you guys know this. You some of them you you're sending to me, and and keep sending them. The number of people that I'm seeing out there that 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 are everybody knows that the. the the turkey numbers are absolutely going into the, getting flushed down the toilet right now in so many areas, but yet we still have people out there. We're going to hunt five different states, six, ten different states, and we're going out two birds, three birds, four birds. We're going to get our limit of birds, and we're going to lay them down. And here we are. We're out there, always tough hunting. You know, especially in my neck of the woods. I'm watching guys out here. Both the outfitters that hunt around me and in just just low just people that are around me and that are hunting. We know damn well what our turkey population is. Like, I mean, legitimately we, we damn well know that there's in this entire river drainage, I talked about this bit before, for this two to four mile stretch, we've got two toms and like nine hens. But yet, hell yeah, man, we're going to go out there. We're going to go after them. I've got two tags in my pocket. We're going to lay them down. What the the hell are we talking about here, man? The number of people that want to harvest a bird versus the number of birds that are actually on the landscape, that's a discussion right there on its own. But let but let alone the discussion of the people that are going on these massive just multi-state I've got maximum number of tags in my pocket and we're going to go out there and just lay turkeys down. I'm going to 
we're gonna we're gonna Instagram live this shit. We're gonna Insta famous this stuff. I'm gonna put together my my YouTube channel, and we're gonna just waylay the piss out of birds. What birds are you waylaying the piss out of? Is the population actually there? You sit there and you you claim to follow Mike Chamberlain. You you claim to follow Dr. Lashley, Marcus Lashley. What? Do you, or 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 is it just about is it just about you know famous adjacent? You know, oh, I had him on my podcast, so I'm cool like him. Or I, you know, I I I share his stuff on my Instagram page, so I I'm like I'm a I'm a conservationist like him. Really? Because and maybe you disagree. Maybe these people disagree. I have never heard them disagree, but maybe they disagree. But of all the people that talk about shooting toms in the face, shooting turkeys in the face with a shotgun or a bow, it doesn't matter. Turkeys are made to be shot in the face. I'm sorry, that's just what they are. But you're talking about shooting a turkey in the frickin' face. Dr. Chamberlain talks about how many, what percentage of toms should or should not be taken out of the population. Now, with me, I always, I, my, my, let's just call it arbitrary. My threshold was I never wanted to take more than 50% of the mature birds. And when I say mature, two-year-old birds or more. Okay. If he's got a full fan, I call him a mature bird. All right. My, for my management protocol and my hunting that I've done out here in Kansas from, geez, I checked myself. So that doesn't count. I'm still only at one quarter. Since, what, 2010? When I was hunting out here? Never wanted to take more than 50% of the mature birds in a particular area. Okay, so again, you can go listen to Marcus Lashley or Mike Chamberlain or any of the other biologists out there that talk turkeys constantly. Turkeys are going to have a home range. Hens are going to have a home range. We can have a discussion or a debate about the, you know, the exploded lek theory, blah, 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 blah. I don't give a crap. You're going to have pockets of birds, and those birds are going to be in a certain area, and they're going to operate in a certain area in the spring. Hens are going to go out and nest. The gobbler's going to be around there, blah, 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 blah. Okay. If I look at a chunk of river bottom, and I know that there's five birds in this area. And that's it. That's five mature toms. That's this home range, this area of occupation, this area of, of activity in this area. There's five toms. If I was the guy that had the control of the whole place around there, which I've got some properties like that, I'm going to look at that and say, okay, then we can take two toms out of that group. Now, if you listen, listen to... Dr. Chamberlain, he would argue, no, probably you you only maybe need to take, maybe you, could, you should only take one of those out of there. And then he's going to also add in there probably when, when, when maybe you should take that bird out of there. Later, maybe better than earlier. And all, of course, all these things are, are up, you know, we can have a conversation about the, 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 the degree of some of this stuff. But I'm watching some of these Instagram, social media folks that claim 
to be all in on turkey biology and all all in on turkey conservation. <coughs> Fundamentally, just flat out ignoring all everything that he says. And I, I don't know. It just it's I'm sorry. This is where I go back to. Matt Ranella and his discussion about why he's sick and tired of social media and hunting on social media. I'm sorry, I the the more you know, it's one of those things where you know, like you you went and you bought a yellow El Camino. Now I know that I'm dating myself right there because there's a bunch of you that have no idea what an El Camino is. You're wrong, but I digress. You could buy a yellow El Camino. And then for the next year, you'll be amazed at how many other yellow El Caminos you see running around. You're like, holy crap, there's another one. Oh, there's one over there. Oh, there's another one. When, when you, when you, when something becomes real to you and, and becomes a, a center focus of your value set, all of a sudden you're going to notice things around you. So maybe I'm just being more hypersensitive to the, to this these days after the, the discussion and debate with a different podcast with Matt Ranella calling out you know so many people on social media. But I don't think so because a lot of other people have been. A lot of other people are noticing it. And the thing that I'm noticing a lot these days is there's a lot of people focused on shooting a turkey in the face. But I'm really not impressed on the number of social media accounts of people that are willing to not shoot a turkey in the face because it's the right thing to do from a conservation of the species standpoint. Again, Dr. Chamberlain talks about in his experience and from the research that he's seen, he's developed the opinion that maybe you don't take 10 or 20% of maybe 10 to 20 or I don't know his exact number. I'm, I'm trying to, I, this is why I want to take notes. I got to go back and do some research, but if I remember correctly, what he was talking about, like 10, 20% maybe of the gobblers on the landscape is what you want to take, or especially if you're talking about going out there in early season and hunting. Because turkey mortality on mature gobblers seems largely to be additive type mortality, meaning Mother Nature, on a mature gobbler, Mother Nature is only going to take a couple of those animals. Once they get to be a mature big bird, they they, they can handle themselves. Yes, there are an, there are other critters out there that can take them off, uh, you know, predate upon them, take them off the landscape. But by and large, the the majority of mature, uh, uh, mortality population level for mature gobblers is is human hunting. It's additive. So every gobbler we shoot in the face is just another gobbler that's off the landscape that that otherwise probably would not have been removed from the landscape. All right? 
the number of people out there that just give zero shits about, I'm going to go out there, I've got two tags in my pocket, and I'm going to fill my two tags. And then I'm going to go to the next state, and we're going to go out here, and then we're in the next state, and we're going to go, and then we're in the next state, and then we're going to go here, and the next state. Meanwhile, everybody in the, the state that's hunting that state does the they want to do the same thing. They want to shoot a turkey in the face, and they, they've got multiple tags in their pocket, and they want to shoot multiple birds in the face. So, okay, we know our bird populations are decreasing. At what point, and this is another, again, these are these are things that have been going on in my mind lately. When do sportsmen actually lead in the world of conservation versus when do we react? We've got a lot of uh, focus on, we've got a lot of traction, a lot of pages, a lot of movement, a lot of social media interaction these days about reacting to all sorts of shit. And and a lot of it is shit and and it's just worthless. I'm going to dive into that as well because there's some things that, that I'm watching some of these sportsmen's advocacy groups, you know, called action on and I look at it, I'm like, are you seriously? That, that, that's, that's what we need to, no. Um, we'll, we'll dive into that, um, or at a different time. But I really want to know, when do sportsmen actually lead? When do we proactively do the right thing? When do we, as sportsmen, intrinsically within ourselves, trigger the conservation mode? Or do we not? Or, or is the trigger just, I need to get mine and I'm going to shoot it. I, I'm going to pull the, I'm going to go out and kill something. I, I need to go kill something. Now, granted, no, there are examples. We can, we can pick examples. We can look at the National Wild Turkey Federation and, and the conservation stuff that they do. We can look at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and look at the conservation stuff that they do. We can look, uh, pause, pause that for, we can look at the National Deer uh, uh, Association and look at the conservation stuff that they do. That's not sportsmen. Air quotes, quote unquote, sportsmen in a general sense. Because each one of those organizations only represents what? One, two, three percent of the overall hunting enthusiasts for that organ. National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, this is I, I'd like to look at the numbers. Let's take a look at number of uh, how many turkey hunters are actually out there on the landscape. Number one, buying a license, and then looking at the number of members, active members that the National Wild Turkey Federation has. And then what what is that percentage? What are they? Single digit percentage of turkey hunters that are actually National Wild Turkey Federation members and and sending their mem- the basic just the basic membership dues. Same thing with elk hunters. How many Tens upon, it's probably more than a hundred, collectively, it's got to be more than a hundred thousand elk hunters in the woods each year. Yes, well, yeah, what am I talking about, Ro? Of course it's going to be, there's got to be hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of elk hunters in the woods each year. 
in the field each year. How many of them are actually Rocky Mountain Elks Foundation members? Now, granted, I, I haven't been a member in a while, um, so I'm guilty. But how many how many how many of those are actual Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation members? Again, single digit, like look, it's got to be like disgustingly low single digits percentage. National Deer Association. So that I am. Um, I need to re-up my Turkey Federation membership. I think that's lapsed. My end, my what used to be Quality Deer Management Association. Same thing. I got to make sure that one's still good. It's it, anyway. Those that and pheasants forever. Those, those and I. I need to re-up mine on that one. Those are the ones that that I focus on. But. Because that's the thing is, as a sportsman, we we spend our money. You, you say, "Oh, well, you you spend our hundred our hundred dollars go towards you know paying for the North American model model wildlife." Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it paying for? When we talk about conservation, what are we paying for? We're paying for game wardens. We're paying for administrators. We're paying for research departments. We're paying for admin. Right? And quite honestly, in some of these states, we're paying for access. There's access programs. Yeah. What If we looked at the pie chart on where the bulk of our sportsman's dollars go, do, do the, does the bulk of our sportsman's dollars get put on the ground for growing more critters? Yes or no? Does the bulk of our sportsman dollars get put on the ground to build better habitat for our critters? Yes or no? You know damn well the answer to that one. So when we look at the National Wild Turkey Federation or we look at the Pheasants Forever, we look at uh, Ducks Unlimited, we look at uh, all these other conservation organizations, that's what they are, quote-unquote, sportsman conservation organizations, there's, they are doing a lot more of quote-unquote conservation type stuff, actually putting money on the ground for habitat type stuff that are going to grow critters. But that's a volunteer, that's not our sportsman dollars. That's ac- That's extra dollars that we're spending. Now, granted, in Colorado, we could talk about the habitat stamp. Okay, there's there's money that's that's coming from the habitat stamp, but how many sportsmen rallied for the habitat stamp versus how many we could have a discussion on that versus oppose the habitat stamp and we can have a discussion of why that both sides of that was valid but i don't know i just I, these days i i look at things and i i'm watching I, this is going to be another discussion later on the chronic wasting disease you, you look at the the the, the just the fee the, I, don't, I don't even know what you call it the circus around chronic wasting disease some hunters it's it's a bunch of bs it's fake it's it's just a way to you know steal hunter opportunity like it's a conspiracy of just fakeness and then there's other people that are that take it seriously and and they're all in on it it's just and everything in between. It, it has become an absolute circus. But 
with the turkey, we're in turkey season now, and 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 people are noticing. And and I'm I'm not I'm not saying everyone. I'm just saying in general, it seems like there's a lot of people that just want to shoot a turkey in the face, give zero shits about whether or not they're shooting the last birds in their freaking entire area. Again, I go back to. If we're talking about what Dr. Chamberlain has talked about before, he's talking about maybe 10 to 20% of your birds, and that's it. I was talking about 50%. Dude, we've got people around, we've got folks around us where they will kill 100% of the mature birds that, that, that they can. If there's four mature birds on this two mile stretch of the river bottom, they will put their clients in a freaking ground blind over a, a, a bait pile. And if if two guys are sitting in the ground blind, each one had two tags in their pocket, and those four birds walked in, they would go boom, 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 boom. And there would be high fives. There would be back slapping. There would be picture taking. There would be hooping and hollering. The outfitter would be coming out there. They would be posting it all over. So we're laying them down in Kansas. So look, look at this guy. You're damn right you did. You laid them out and you freaking laid them out and you laid all of them out. Now what? Now what? Well, you know, there's there's turkeys. They'll, they'll, there's the round. They'll move up and... Really? You look at... And I'm not saying it's equivalent, but it's damn freaking close. You look at the passenger pigeon. What happened with the passenger pigeon in the United States? market hunting and and hunting back in the day just waylaid the piss out of passenger pigeons because they were so plentiful you'll never see the end of them just shoot them shoot them and eat them shoot them and feed them to your pigs shoot them just to shoot them just shoot them and then all of a sudden they were like oh shit we just shot them to the point where they no longer can successfully breed and reap and and actually have a viable recruitment on the landscape and oh guess what there are no passenger pigeons in the united states anymore they're gone they are extinct and hunting whether it was market hunting or otherwise is the cause of it i'm looking at the landscape i'm looking at some of our areas of our turkey populations and I'm watching the number of people. I, and, and trust me, I'm torn on this. I am torn on it. I've got it. I've I shut down all my turkey hunts for this year. Okay. Except maybe possibly one. I've got one guy that just is absolutely, he absolutely wants to come out. He wants to come out. He wants to come out. He wants to come out. And I've already told him, I've already pushed him back. And I, and I just texted him today. I'm like, honestly, in good conscience, we shouldn't shoot another bird, period. I said, but if 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 we're gonna, because he's again, it it was a prior prior commitment. I said, if we're gonna, if if we are gonna shoot a bird, then we need to do like the last week in a season. Let these birds actually, let the hens actually get a chance to nest. Let some of these winter wheat fields come in and, and mature. Let some of these CRP fields start to get some green and 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 do a little bit better. Let some of these ag fields actually have something start to grow in them to where these birds can actually. I'm, I'm literally at this point, I'm I'm tempted to just say, you know what? We're not going to do a turkey hunt. If you want to come out and hunt, you come out and hunt. We'll, we'll come out, we'll survey our birds and I'll, and I'll show you what's going on, but we're going to come out and we'll do a uh, coyote hunt. 
right before the the fawning, you know, just we'll, we'll come out and we'll 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 lay way lay the the piss out of coyotes because that's another thing that we need to do. But there's there's some people that just they they just want to come they just want to shoot a bird it doesn't matter they just want to shoot a bird and I understand that I've got a a neighbor here in town a young kid that you know he I talk to him all he follows me and I talk to him all the time and he got a bird this year with one of the outfitters nearby and I he stopped me on the the road the other day and. He's out there trying to get a bird for his brother-in-law. And the statement he said to me is, they haven't been able to find any birds, but they finally found one tom that was with four hens. And they were all in. And and the point blank question he asked me is like, so so if I you know if if, if that bird is still with hens and and you know we've we've got him roosted and we know where you know is that a filled tag? I mean, you think you think we can kill him? And I just sat there and I'm like, man, do I want to see this guy get his first turkey or at least a turkey? It's been new, many, many years. If he's, if he has ever killed a turkey, it's been many, many years, but I don't, this may actually be his first bird. And it's like, how do I tell, how do I, how do I, how do you tell a new hunter that's excited. They just, they put in the work. They just went out there and just, they put the work in and they finally found a bird and he's all jazzed about like, holy hell, this is a bird and I might be able to get my first bird. And it is literally the only one in the entire area. Do you, do you shoot? Is hunting conservation? Or is conservation paid for by hunting? Because I, I did. I told him, I said, well, I, I, I gave him the most honest answer I could. And but I but I I was saddened by the fact that even for myself. I couldn't get excited for the guy. Normally, a new hunter, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's an, an, inex- in, an inexperienced hunter, I'm excited and I want to help them because I that's what I do. That That's literally what, this is why I do what I do out here because I do enjoy bringing people out in the field and, and let just living their experience with them, through them, and just, I just couldn't be excited for the guy. I just, I told him, I said, if it's the only bird that you guys have been able to find, and it's the only bird in the area, maybe consider not shooting it. Because the reason why he's with hens still is those big, and we've talked about it, the hens are still trying to nest and, and there is no shortage of raccoons and there is very little cover on the landscape right now for a variety of reasons. Again, I'm going to talk about that later on, different podcast. So those hens are going to need to re-nest all the way until June and probably this year well into June. 
they're going to need a gobbler to be able to continue to breed at least a little bit. They can't store sperm for that long. So I did. I said, maybe consider not shooting him or if you want to go after him, go after him later because he might be the only bird on the landscape and if you shoot him, then 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 what? What what are those the hens not going to be able to successfully reproduce this this year? Like you just we just again, if we if we believe the research, if you want to be a fanboy of Dr. Chamberlain or, you know, Marcus Lashley and others, that's fine, but if turkey mortality by hunting is is additive, you go out there and shoot the last turkey in the face, then what? What 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 do we got for next year? And and the number of people that I've talked to that have been like, well, you know, I know that the the, the numbers are down, so you know, I, I want to get out there this year and, and and be able to get you know and fill my tags this year before you know we just don't have any birds. It's like I just want to slap myself in the face and then just punch them in the nose. It's like what the so you want to get yours as long as you get yours this year. Who gives a shit what happens next year? Or more importantly, I know that it's going to be bad next year, so screw it, f it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go out and get mine. That's literally the opposite of what we need to be doing. If we are conservationists, if hunting is conservation, then we wouldn't be doing that. We as hunters would be looking on the landscape and going, "Holy shit, we have no birds. I'm not hunting." Now, granted, there a couple of you sent me uh, accounts uh, of uh, other other uh, excuse me of other outfitters and other hunters that have done that this year, which is awesome, which is, which is awesome. And especially out here in Kansas, there was a couple of them that have said that, yep, we, we're, we're shutting down our operation because the, the bird numbers are just aren't there. So there are people out there that are engaged in conservation. Absolutely. There are sportsmen out there that do go ahead and voluntarily become a member of a conservation organization and send their money, their basic membership in to a conservation organization. Then there are also other people that will go out there and send their money to a conservation organization and they'll become a conservation member and they'll they'll give a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars to to further conservation. But we're we're drastically now dropping in the percentage of the population that's actually doing that. Kuyu did a great, is doing an awesome job with taking some of their profits of their, their, uh, you know, clothing line and, and their, their gear. And they're turning that over in, and they're doing conservation direct where they're actually doing paying for and actually running and managing some of the bighorn sheep and other conservation efforts out there on the landscape. So they're, you know, Cabela's, the family has done a lot. Um, there, there's, there are some out there, but in general, how many are out there that are just like, I just want to get mine, versus, I'm not going to get mine this year because I don't know what's going to happen next year, and I'm going to do what I can do this year to make sure that I have a better chance next year. I'm going to tell you, it's discouraging watching it. It's discouraging watching accounts on social media and seeing the answer to that question in real time. 
and not in a and not in a in a beneficial direction. So I, I do. I want to have that. I, I would love to explore that idea a little bit more as well. Is hunting actually conservation, or is conservation paid for by hunting? And if we really want to get ugly with it, is conservation really paid for by a, a very, very small minority of hunters? And if we really want to get disgustingly ugly about it, is the vast majority of conservation that's actually put on the ground paid for a very, very small minority of hunters that are wealthy? Now we're going to step on some toes. (laughs) How about we end it there? I'll, I'll, I'll just tease you with that. And then we'll come back and we'll revisit. All right, that's what I'm going to do because it is literally right now, quarter after midnight, I got to kill this, go into this, up to my office, edit it, upload it so it's ready for you. Tomorrow, no, not tomorrow, today, today morning, on your drive, to work, sipping your cup of coffee. So, yeah, that's what's going on in my head. That's what's going on in my little world. That's what's kind of be coming down the pipe as far as some of the discussion on the podcast. So uh, stay tuned. By all means, continue. I love it. I want it. Keep sending it. Um you see stuff on social media that 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 resonates with you and and it is in this type of um in this similar vein of of dialogue send it man share it tag me in it post send it to me i don't i want to see it absolutely um if you've got personal thoughts a lot of you've reached out and and we've kind of gone back and forth on private messages you know you've had personal thoughts where some of this stuff you've seen uh, you maybe have perceived, you know, seen different things that I have, or maybe you look at things a little bit different. Seriously, this is why I love you guys. Reach out, have that conversation, send it to me. So keep going with that. Um, fingers crossed. We're gonna get rain tonight. Probably the 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 sad part is because I got everything done that I wanted to. I got all the I got you know you saw the previous post. I got the nitrogen put out in the food plot. I got the building all solidified. I got all everything put away. I, I got all the concrete, all the extra bags of concrete put uh, out. Of, got it out of the truck in the garage where it's going to be dry. Where I sh- I shouldn't have done that. Quite honestly, hindsight being twenty, I should have just left the bags of concrete in the back of the truck, and I should have just parked the truck right in the middle of the, just right out on the road, just right out on the road. I should have left all my tools out at the horse. We would have guaranteed got rain then. Absolutely would have guaranteed got rain. But no, 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 no. Now I've got everything put away. Everything's buttoned up. Everything's just like, everything is just in order. So we and I, we're not going to get squat. But anyway, fingers fingers crossed that we do. Because if if we do, then I'm going to have some office time. If we have some office time, then I'm going to have some record time. And we can dive into some of these topics a little deeper. All right. All right, that's it for tonight. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.